You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. No, I know. Was he any good? I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents the Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. Hello, Long Island, New York, and around the country. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Happy Mother's Day! And by the way, I am a new uncle, yes. as uh, my new niece is brought to this world on Thursday morning. So I'm very happy, very excited. Healthy sister, healthy baby makes me very, very happy. Yes, congratulations to you and your family, your sister, and your new niece. Eliana, uh, by the way. Eliana. That's a great name. I love that name. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. My mother and my all my family members that are mothers. Happy Mother's Day to them and all the mothers that are listening to this show. Unfortunately, my family had a loss. My grandfather passing away at the age of 85. My mother's father passing away yes. uh, had a heart attack. A great man. A very fun guy to be around. A guy that grew up with. Always was there for everything we were at. Growing up as kids as well. All our baseball games. All our music stuff. Everything we did. He was there. Always a reliable guy. A sports fan as well. A huge New York sports fan. Always an entertaining guy to be around and he will definitely miss for sure. And 100%. This show tonight goes out to him. May he rest in peace. My shout out to the Clorber family. Another big loss to your family as you lost your grandfather, your father's father last year. So yes. it's been very hard for your family and I'm lost with words, but may he rest in peace. Your grandfather was a good man. Always showed me the respect and absolutely loved you and loved what you have been doing and how you've grown in this industry. So for all your family out there, the Kloiber family, my heart goes out to every one of you. May he rest in peace. We have a great show lined up for you guys, as we always do. A little bit later in the show, we will be talking to former Packers, Bills, and Buccaneers defensive lineman Jarrell Worthy, a friend of the show. Jarrell played with Aaron Rodgers, knows a lot about Aaron Rodgers, and this is a must-listen to. He is a fantastic personality, and he knows his football. He had a pretty good career in the NFL, played with the Packers, played with the Bills, played with the Buccaneers. So he knows a little bit about the AFC East, he knows about the Packers, and he knows about the Buccaneers years too. So a lot to get into with him. The NBA, the Knicks getting eliminated by the Heat four games to two. If you're a Knicks fan, there's a lot to get into in the offseason for them as Julius Randle again doesn't show up in the playoffs. R.J. Barrett coughing up the ball. Even though everybody would say R.J. Barrett had a great playoff run, I thought it was too many mistakes by the New York Knicks. And is this the last time we see Tom Thibodeau as the head coach of the New York Knicks going into the offseason? Nuggets advance to the Western Conference Conference Finals as they eliminated the Big Bad Suns as the Nuggets and our friend Mr. Joker knocks off Mr. Durant as the Clowns are no longer in the playoffs. The 76ers have a chance to knock off the Celtics as they head to Game 7 on Sunday in Boston. Could they do it? Could they knock off that green, scary Jalen Brown face mask? That mask has got to go. It is one of the ugliest masks I've ever seen. And the Lakers and Warriors, sayonara to our friend, Mr. Steph Curry. Rangers fire Gerard Gallant. What do the Rangers need to do in the offseason? Who do they add as far as a coach? Do they make moves? Do they part ways with some players? Maybe some of the youngsters in Lafayette or Capococco. We will get into it. Blackhawk 
Hawks win the NHL draft, as we believe the lottery is absolutely rigged, as Connor Bedard is on his way to Chicago. Hurricanes advance to the Eastern Conference Finals. Congratulations to the New Jersey Devils. Well done season. Our friend Jack Hughes was just sensational. Stars lead the Kraken Series three games to two, and Connor McDavid could be moving on to the Western Conference Finals again. Aaron Judge returns for the Yankees. Could you please hit? Max Scherzer misses another start, as I told all the Met fans. When they sign this man, he is only going to go downhill. And that's where he's going. Moneyline Mania with Paolo and Chaz tonight. So why don't we get into it? If you're a Nick fan, I am. You are. For all you Nick fans out there, you should be very happy for the season the Knicks have. And I'm going to tell you why. There's a lot to look forward to next year. The Knicks actually have a superstar player in Jalen Brunson. He doesn't not show up into the playoffs like one of our stars. This is a man that has been the face of the Knicks season this year. He has been everything the Knicks have needed and wanted at the point guard position. This is the best point guard since Walt Frazier. He's been sensational all season long. Averaging almost 24 points. In the playoffs, he averaged close to 27, 28 points, especially in the Miami series. There's a lot to look forward to. Leon Rose has a lot of work to do in the offseason. That is the good side. The bad side of the offseason. They got to decide what they're doing with Julius Randle. I don't care if he was on the all-NBA team. The man doesn't show up in the playoffs. R.J. Barrett, when you look at his numbers, he averaged close to 23 points a game in the Miami series. Let's see how many giveaways did he have in the Miami series and how many shots he missed when he was open. There's a lot to look to in the offseason. Maybe they make a move for Giannis. Maybe they make a move for Luka Doncic, two guys that could want out for their respectable organizations that they play for. Leon Rose knows that he is not going any further with Tom Thibodeau. And if he brings him back again, it's a big mistake. I am a supporter of Tom Thibodeau. I think Tom Thibodeau is a great coach. The man's never won as a head coach in the league. He always wanted this job. He always wanted to bring a championship home to New York because he's from Connecticut and he grew up a Knicks fan. It's not going to happen. He has gone as far as he can take the New York Knicks. There are quite a few good coaches out there that are looking for jobs. One of them that won a championship in Toronto, in Nurse. He is available right now. He is a great defensive mind. He got the most out of Kawhi Leonard. He got the most out of that Toronto Raptors team. Then there's Budenholzer, who was just let go. Another championship coach. He was an assistant coach on the San Antonio Spurs with all those championships with Greg Popovich. He goes to Milwaukee five sensational years with Milwaukee. Every year, practically in the playoffs. Every year, almost coming out of the Eastern Conference, and yes, he won a championship with Giannis and that team. Those two guys are absolutely guys that would fit here and help the youngsters out here in New York. And then there's Kenny Atkinson that Milwaukee is actually interviewing right now. Kenny Atkinson would be a great fit for the New York Knicks with all the youngsters, Quigley and Obi Toppin and Grimes. He has done wonders for the youngsters. You saw what he did in Brooklyn. That place was not a circus when he was there until Kyrie. 
Kyrie Irving showed up there. And then all of a sudden, Kenny Atkinson is gone. Steve Nash is gone. It seems like everybody was gone. I believe the Knicks need to figure out who their coach is going to be next year, and they need to find another superstar to play with Jalen Brunson. They need a guy that could take over a game when Jalen Brunson is out, sitting out, in foul trouble like he was in Miami in Game 6. They have to have another guy. And Julius Randle, the bricklayer, is not the guy. No, and you definitely saw the issues that other guys besides Jalen Brunson had dribbling the ball. You were talking about R.J. Barrett's turnovers being a big problem for him in the last two games of this series. Now, they won Game 5. Barrett still did well from a scoring perspective, but from a passing perspective, a lot of it was ugly. Julius Randle, watching him dribble the ball is like watching him dribble in quicksand. It's ugly. He makes some ugly shots look good, I guess, but still, he's not an efficient player. He's a very bad playoff player, and he's proving it again in a much larger sample. It doesn't work. Here's something that I'm surprised Tom Thibodeau did not do. Emmanuel Quigley played so well when Brunson was hurt as a point guard. Why not him have him be essentially point guard number two, or have him be like a point guard in the rotation if Brunson does get in foul trouble? Because Miami kept attacking Brunson. Quickly was out with the hurt ankle. No, 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 I get that, but even when he was healthy, too. Like, when these guys were struggling, dribbling the ball, and Randall was hurt in the beginning of the series, it makes no sense why they didn't really explore that option, because Quickly wasn't scoring. Like, he was the end of the Cleveland series. So, I think that a lot has to do with Tom Thibodeau, and Tom Thibodeau trying to stick to his guns, stick to his very stingy rotation, and that's why I agree with you. I do not want him back here as New York Knicks head coach when you have three guys that have very good pedigree available. I love Budenholzer. I think he's been one of the best coaches in the NBA. Even when he was in Atlanta, was very good, too. Mm -hmm. He took him to the conference finals a couple times. Lost to LeBron James. Fine. But many Eastern Conference teams have lost to LeBron James. Mm -hmm. And Milwaukee, they were the number one seed three different times. They won a championship. And he's a great defensive mind, which the Knicks desperately need because Miami was shooting every three imaginable in the end of that series. And also Nick Nurse has done a very good job, even after they won the championship, too, keeping that team competitive even when Kawhi Leonard left. So I'm surprised he got fired as well from Toronto. There's quite a few coaches that are available. This is a good offseason for the Knicks to really do their interviewing and maybe part ways with Tom Tibbet. I don't know what Leon Rose's plans is, but he can't go into the offseason thinking that Tom Thibodeau is the guy that the Knicks are good in position to be a contender. They've proven they're not a contender. They were a five seed, and they lose against an eight seed. An eight seed that has good players. Bam Adebayo played very well in this series. Butler is a great playoff player. Who else is good? Tyler Hero was out in this series, out for the playoffs. Who is good on this roster? Who would start on any other roster in the NBA on this team? Nobody. They're very well coached. They have one of the best coaches in the NBA. But to me, Miami is not better than the Knicks. When we were going into this series, everybody thought that the Knicks had the advantage. They finally had home court advantage for the second round. It's the first time with Carmelo Anthony. Yeah, the two seeds. was the last time that the Knicks had home court advantage in the second round. But they lost against Indiana. So it seems like deja vu for the New York Knicks. So I don't know what the Knicks are planning to do. I'm sure Leon Rose has a good plan, as we saw what he did last year, bringing in Jalen Brunson, the big acquisition in the offseason, probably the biggest in the NBA. The Knicks found themselves a superstar. Now they need to find themselves another one to play with Jalen Brunson. If they do that and find a coach that can coach these guys, these youngsters and this team, and maybe wake up Mitchell Robinson in the playoffs, because this guy is the best offensive rebounder all season long, and then all of a sudden in the second round against a Miami Heat team that was one of the worst offensive rebounding teams in the NBA, absolutely out-rebound the top three offensive rebounding team in all of the NBA in the Knicks. And it made the Cavs series in a sense look like fool's gold, because I was worried about them being able to rebound against that size that Cleveland has, and the Knicks guards were so good at rebounding in that series that you think, okay, it could carry over against a team that has Adebayo who has great size, but beyond that is more of a wing-oriented team that the Knicks are probably just as big, or if not bigger than, when it comes to their guards.
starts, and it turned out to be fool's gold. Game four was really bad. The end of game six was really bad. They were letting Kyle Lowry and all these smaller cards out-rebound you. It's a really bad look. As far as Brunson, he absolutely played his heart out in that postseason, especially at the end of that Miami series. You gotta give him another guy to really help out. Luka Doncic is definitely ideal for somebody who's played with Jalen Brunson already, and is another guy that's a tremendous playoff player. I believe he's over 30 points per game in the postseason, too. So, if they can make a big splash like that, that is a great move for the Knicks in the future, and they have more than enough draft picks to make that work. The Nuggets advance to the Western Conference Finals. Well, the clowns are out. No more Chris Paul. No more Kevin Durant. No more Booker. Now Booker could find another Kardashian he can date. <laughs> this is going to be an interesting offseason for the Phoenix Suns. Maybe they part ways with Williams. Maybe he isn't the guy. They have another year with Kevin Durant. Maybe another two years with Kevin Durant. How many years do they have left with Chris Paul? He can't stay healthy. So they might have one more run with Chris Paul and Kevin Durant next year. I think the Nuggets are the best team in the NBA. They should win the championship this year. Joker is the best player in the league. I don't care about what they said. Joel Embiid, congratulations to him winning the MVP. Fantastic year for Joel Embiid. But the Joker... I believe, was back-to-back-to-back MVP of the NBA. He won back-to-back the last two years. He should have won this year. His numbers weren't as defined as it was the last couple of years because he has Murray back. He has Porter back. There is more beef to that lineup. I think the Nuggets are going to breeze through the Lakers. Yeah, I think when you look at the Nuggets, too, they're so deep, and they could win in so many different ways, too, because Nikola Jokic in itself is such a different prototype that we've ever seen in the NBA before. Like, this great vision-passing power forward center type with a body that is fast too. He wasn't drafted as this freakish athlete like you saw somebody like LeBron or Giannis or something like that but he's so creative, he's so innovative and he makes the rest of that team so better but at the same time they could also have Jamal Murray dribble they have all these shooting guards that could hit threes now too. Guys like Cantavius Caldwell-Pope and Reggie Jackson, guys that have good playoff experience. Aaron Gordon also gaining some life in that series too this is a team with a lot of depth and he's very well coached and has some good experience as well I agree with you, they should definitely win it all 76ers and Celtics Game 7 on Sunday, it could go either way. If James Harden actually shows up to this game, which it seems like he disappears or hides under a table or he's just scared of the crowds like Julius Randle is, if he shows up and puts up a 40 spot, they should knock off the Celtics in Boston. I'm not going to count on it because I don't trust Doc Rivers in the big game. He knows Boston very well because he won a championship there with Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce and Ray Allen. I just don't know how good the 76er team is. I believe the Celtics have the most talent in the Eastern Conference, but usually when you hear that, the most talent doesn't usually win the series. I still believe the 76ers could win this game if Joel Embiid can put up at least 25 points, get you 12 or 13 rebounds like he's been doing throughout the playoffs when he does play, and then James Harden giving you between 30 and 35 points. They can win this series. They can win this game. They have enough on their bench with Harris and Maxi. This is a good overall team. The question is, could they go into Boston and not go off the wonder of them all. The golden retrievers of Boston. And I mean golden retrievers because there's a pot of gold might be hiding under their seats. Yep. Two things that'll define the Sixers if they're able to win this game. I think defensively, guys like P.J. Tucker on the winger is going to have to be a big key because we saw Jason Tatum really struggle shooting in game six until the fourth quarter of that game. And Jalen Brown, guys like Malcolm Brogdon, Marcus Smart, they're going to rely on a lot of these backcourt players to make three-point shots. And the Celtics, they still have some good wing depth as well off the bench too. And if somebody like Tucker 
Walker, who's played well in the playoffs before, could do that, that could be a big key. And also just James Harden's overall efficiency. I don't even necessarily think he has to score 30 points, but if he, he could score 25 and shoot over 50% and not shoot them out of a game like we've seen them do, that's going to be a big thing for the Sixers too because the Sixers defense actually has looked pretty good in this series too. They were the third overall defense in the league coming into the series, but the Celtics defense is very good too, so they can't be missing shots and bricklaying like we see Julius Randle and James Harden do in the playoffs. I was so happy watching the Golden State Warriors get knocked out. No more Steph Curry, no Klay Thompson, no more Draymond Green. What do they do in the offseason? Do they fire Steve Kerr? Maybe Kenny Atkinson decides to stay there. Steve Kerr decides to step down. The end of a dynasty is gone. No more shimmy. No problem for the NBA as maybe Steph Curry is on his way down as far as downhill. I doubt it. Steph Curry could still shoot. As long as he could still shoot, he'll still be able to compete in a league. But maybe Golden State decides to part ways with Steph and, and maybe move him in the next year or two and try to get something back for him as he could be the missing piece of another team if they plan to win a championship. I don't know, but this is the end of the Golden State Warriors. I don't think we'll ever see Golden State win another championship as we saw them part ways with one of their youngsters that they drafted a couple of years ago in the top three. And now Jordan Poole doesn't look like he's getting along with anybody in the locker room. He could be gone very, very soon too because if he's not getting along with any of his peers, why would you keep him on that roster? Right, and that's why I think one of these veterans is probably going to be the one that ends up biting the dust anyway because Jordan Poole is somebody you're going to have to really build on because he's such a good three-point shooter in that system. He was supposed to be the next Clay Thompson, a guy that was actually more athletic out of the draft, faster. I think his range was probably very similar, but even so, if his maturity is going to be an issue, I'm not saying it's all his fault. Draymond Green and maturity don't mix either, but even so, you need to build on that. Clay Thompson and Draymond Green have kind of lost value when it comes to trade, and Draymond's a free agent too, so either they try to keep him and keep him as that trash talker type, or they're going to have to trade Poole because Poole doesn't clearly like Draymond Green and Andrew Wiggins. Draymond Green's gone, and I believe Jordan Poole, if he can't produce next year in the playoffs or he can't produce in the regular season, he could be on his way out with the contract that he got in the offseason this past year. So there's a lot that Golden State is going to have to decide to do as they're not going to have a high draft pick this year, thank God. But the year after, they could have a top five pick (laughs) as the NBA likes to give them top five picks a few years ago. It's very interesting to see what the Golden State Warriors are going to do in the offseason. When we come back, some NHL conversation as the Rangers fire Gerard Gallant. Where do they go as far as the coaching position is concerned? What did the Rangers do in the offseason? And the Chicago Blackhawks win the lottery. Connor Bedard, come on down when we come back here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all the shows throughout the week, including the Sports Loudmouths, which airs every single Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. Great show. Shows, ladies and gentlemen, you should be tuning in every single week as we have great content, great guests, and ladies and gentlemen, great callers. So you should be listening to it every single week, only on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Well, the Rangers decided to move on from Coach Gallant. There is no more Coach Gallant as the New York Rangers 
are going into the offseason searching for a new coach. The Rangers announced Saturday night that Gerard Gallant and the team have a mutual thought on parting ways. Gallant and Chris Drury reportedly did not speak for four days after their Game 7 loss against the Devils. Gallant said that he is frustrated that his job security was even an issue despite them losing in the first round in the playoffs. Gallon had a 99-46-19 regular season record with the Rangers and finished with a 13-14 postseason record. The Rangers beat the Penguins and the Hurricanes both in Game 7s last season before losing to the Lightning in six games in the Eastern Conference Finals. Gallant reportedly called out the media after the Rangers' Game 4 loss against the Devils. Gallant reportedly also had an issue with some of their players in the team's exit meeting following their loss in the first round against the Devils. Here's the thing. Every Ranger fan is going to blame one person, and it always happens. Every three years for the New York Rangers, for some reason, you hear from the fans, we need a new coach. They don't want to blame the players. They don't want to blame Patrick Kane, who demanded to be traded to the New York Rangers. They don't want to blame Vladimir Tarasenko, who was traded for a first-round draft pick, who will probably not re-sign with the New York Rangers. They don't want to blame Panarin, who hasn't had a good playoff series in about three or four of them. They don't want to blame Mika Zabitajad, who's been one of their best players in the regular season for the last five seasons. As much as Adam Fox is one of the best defensemen in the NHL, he didn't show up in Game 6 or Game 7. So let me ask you guys this question. Is the coach playing for those players? All the coach is going to do is call out a play. Call out the lines. What more can a hockey coach do? That's the problem here. This isn't football. You're not calling plays, schemes. This is hockey. The team that plays the hardest, the team that is the fastest, usually wins. And what we saw in Game 6 and Game 7, and let's be honest, the Rangers wanted no part of the New Jersey Devils. It wasn't Jack Hughes that was killing them throughout the series. It was second-hand players on the Devils that were crushing the Rangers. It wasn't Timo Meyer. It wasn't Jack Hughes. It wasn't even Hamilton who's going to win the Norris Trophy. That's the difference. The Rangers weren't getting enough help from their star players. Then again, their second and third lines. That was the problem in this series. And I don't want to hear about Shesterkin. This is Shesterkin's fault. It's his fault. He couldn't stop a lick. Shesterkin practically stood on his head. 60% of the reason why the Rangers lost against the Devils was because of the players. Absolutely. You look at a case of Gallant, like he could have made some adjustments in the middle of the series, but I think most of it is still on that top six group of forwards because you look at somebody like Kreider and Trocek, I think both of them played well throughout this postseason, but beyond that, Zibanejad was kind of inconsistent. Defensively, he was all right against Hughes in the beginning, but then Hughes started to take over in the middle of that series. Panarin was a non-factor. He didn't do anything in that series. Tarasenko was good in the beginning, bad at the end. Kane had the two good games, was Brad throughout the rest of that series. That's the most of the blame that should be taken. The defense, I think, played fine throughout that. The Devils were not getting a lot of high-quality scoring chances. But the one thing that Chris Drury gets the most blame for is still not addressing the biggest issue the Rangers have, which is face-offs. There were three different games in that series where the Devils had 10 more face-off wins than the Rangers, at least. That's also not Gallant's fault. Now, is Gallant like this world-class coach? No. But I worry about the Rangers being able to bring the right players in. They sometimes settle for flash more than they settle for concepts, and that bit them again. Artemi Panarin is turning to 
to Rick Nash 2.0. It took five years for Rick Nash to actually show up in the playoffs, no matter who the coach was. So hopefully they get this higher right. It's a good thing they're not in on Quenville. I'm hoping for Mike Sullivan. I would settle for Peter Laviolette, but I wouldn't want to go for just an old-school, old-fashioned coach like a Mike Babcock just because he's won a Stanley Cup. I don't think they're bringing any of those guys in. I think they're going to bring in their AHL coach, who's right now playing in the conference finals. I believe they're going to bring in Chris Knobloch. The thing about Chris Drury is he loves his own guys. And he brought in Chris Knobloch when he took this job. And I believe he was building him up to be the future head coach of the New York Rangers. I believe that when you see this situation that the Rangers are in now this offseason, they need to get it right. They haven't won a Stanley Cup since 1994. And they only made one in the one year when they lost to the Kings when they were an underdog. So all these years that they've been favorites, like they've made the conference finals a few times, but a lot of the times we've seen these underwhelming second round or even in this case, first round playoff exits. And they were up 2 nothing in this series and they just got completely bombarded after that. Yes. And I think also when you look at the position that the Rangers are in this offseason, they have put themselves in a position where they need to figure out who they're keeping and who are they deciding to move on from? Because Alexi Lafanier has not really produced since he was drafted as the number one pick. Capococco, they extended him two years last offseason. He, again this year, has not produced. I don't know what you're going to get for these guys, and right now, you're probably going to sell on the low. But these guys are not fitting in with this roster. I don't want to hear from the other Ranger fans that are saying, well, if you put them on the first line or you put them on the second line, they're going to get more scoring chances. That's not the reason why they're not doing anything. It also is a matter if they bring in a coach that'll help out with these younger players too, because if they decide to bring in a veteran coach that'll help out the veteran players and try to swing for the fences, you're better off trying to get value, at least some of it, for one of those guys. Now, I'm not saying trade all three of the kid line, but Lexi Lafreniere has been the one that was kind of underwhelming this year, especially in the second half of the season where it seemed like he absolutely disappeared. He had a nice season at over 20 goals. And Kako, I think he got better in some areas, but still not to the up to the level of the number two prospect yet. So depends on who the coach is. Hopefully it's Mike Sullivan because he's really good with the young players. But you're right, Knobloch, an AHL coach, maybe is a good fit for that. Congratulations to Ilya Sorokin. He is up for the Venzian Trophy as goalie of the year. He's probably not going to win it. Allmark is probably winning it. But he has had a sensational year. He's been the second best goalie in the league. And if Allmark didn't have a record-breaking year. He didn't do much in the playoffs, but he had a record-breaking year in the regular season. I think Sorokin wins goalie of the year, so congratulations to Ilya Sorokin for a great sensational year. The Blackhawks won the NHL Draft Lottery for 2023 NHL Draft, a draft featuring Connor Bedard that is thought of to be a generational type of talent. Chicago came into the lottery with the third highest odds to get the number one pick at 11.5%. The two teams Teams with better odds was the Ducks, who landed the number two pick, and the Blue Jackets, who landed the number three pick. The Ducks were also number two in the lottery that landed the Penguins, Sidney Crosby, in 2005. Bobby Ryan was drafted by Anaheim at number two. This is the first time Chicago has had the first overall pick since Patrick Kane in 2007. I don't know what the NHL is doing. I believe these lotteries are not really lotteries. Chicago this season practically choked. Jonathan Thames was not healthy. They decided to part ways with Patrick Kane at the trade deadline. Patrick did not want to be there. And this team has been falling apart year in and year out for the last four years. This team has not been an elite team since 2015. This team is really trying to find their identity since Joe Quinville. 
And we all know what happened with that organization when he was there and things were going behind closed doors. This organization does not deserve Connor Bedard. Not at all. But you know what? If the lottery is true and Chicago won, Connor Bedard, congratulations to them. Is Connor Bedard the best player in this draft? I like Will Smith from the United States. I love the Russian kid from the KHL. A lot of people compare his skills to Connor Bedard in Russia. There's two really good Swedish players that could be drafted in the top 10, and there's one Finnish player that is as elite as a Finnish player since Capococco. And you're right about this lottery, too. Even the Rangers, I think, even as a Ranger fan, I could say they've gotten luckier in instances that they shouldn't have in the past, where I think when they got Lafreniere at the number one overall pick, they had the fifth highest odds. And we've seen that, too, with the LA Kings, who've gotten the top three pick a lot. And Chicago even had it in the Capo Caco draft. They drafted Kirby Doc. You're right in the fact of the NHL is rigging the lottery for a lot of these big cities, these big markets. And Gary Bettman is so about growing the game, but why can't you help out a Columbus Blue Jackets team who had the number one overall pick once back in 2002? That was Rick Nash, a team that's only won one playoff series or a team like Anaheim, Arizona, that it could definitely use a boost like that. If you want to quote unquote rig the lottery like that to grow the game, why are you trying to do it to an already established hockey market? It doesn't make any sense. But again, this is the way the NHL works. And Gary Bettman, who grew up a New York Islander fan, the last time the Islanders got the number one pick, there wasn't a lottery. It was John Tavares who parted ways with the Islanders and screwed the Islanders for the next five years. So congratulations to John Tavares, who is eliminated from the playoffs. Nevertheless, I I wonder if this lottery is really rigged. But something tells me there should be no reason why Chicago should have won this lottery this year. Connor Bedard is a sensational player. He has his own shot. They call it the Bedard. Everything that he has shown is superstardom. He's not Connor McDavid. He's not. So all those guys out there trying to compare him to Connor McDavid as everybody tried to compare Alexi Lafreniere to Sidney Crosby, which was a joke. I think Connor Bedard is probably more like Sidney Crosby than he is of Connor McDavid. Now, I think he's a better prolific offensive player. I think he could score better than Sidney Crosby. I think Sidney Crosby's more of a facilitator, but I think Connor Bedard is going to be a sensational player. He's going to win Rookie of the Year. He's going to score at one point of his career 50 goals, and he's going to be the face of the Chicago Blackhawks and maybe one of the faces of the NHL moving forward. But for the fact that Chicago won this and not Anaheim, who practically gave away all the youngsters in the last two years, and Columbus, who made some big moves in the offseason, they have failed, and this organization is reaching because there is no John Tortorella there anymore. There is no great goaltending there anymore. This team is now trying to figure out where this organization is heading, and it looks like it's going to be heading on trading away the players that they brought in in the offseason at the trade deadline this coming season. Even if you're Gary Bettman and you're in the league office, why wouldn't you want Anaheim or Columbus to get somebody like Bedard? Anaheim's a good young offensive team with Terry and Zegras and Columbus, like you said, just brought in Johnny Goudreau. They still got Patrick Laine there. Like, why would you not want Connor Bedard to go along with that flash instead of a rebuilding Chicago team that not only just traded Kane and Taze, but also last offseason traded Alec Dabrinkit, who was their best young player before that too. He goes to Ottawa, so it makes no sense. Hurricanes advance to the Eastern Conference Finals as they eliminate the New Jersey Devils. Four games to one. Congratulations to the Hurricanes. New Jersey He's a young team. We're going to see the Devils here a lot in the next couple of years. This is a really talented team. They have great goaltending. Finally, since Brodeur, we haven't seen great goaltending. And now you're watching this team and some of these players develop. The Jack Hughes of the world. They made a trade for Timo Meyer. If they re-sign him, he's going to make $11.5, $12 million. There's a lot of great 
opportunities this offseason for this team and this organization because they have a lot of money that they can spend. They paid Dougie Hamilton. They hit the jackpot with Dougie Hamilton. And this team has a coach. I think Lindy Ruff is the coach to lead this team forward next year. So the Devils, congratulations to a sensational year for the New Jersey Devils. Knocking the New York Rangers out and then going into the second round and just playing a better, more veteran team. The Stars lead the series against the Kraken three games to two. The Stars going into the playoffs were one of the better offensive teams in the Western Conference. Nobody thought defensively and goaltending-wise they were going to keep up in the playoffs. Well, they have proven a lot of people wrong. They've played very well throughout the first round, and now in the second round, they're playing a very good cracking team, very well-coached cracking team, and a gritty cracking team that likes to put pressure in the penalty killing, a team that can score shorthanded goals, and they can do all the things right for a team that was an expansion team. It's been sensational watching this cracking team. They're a team that has a lot of depth throughout those four lines, too. You saw Vegas do that when they went to the Stanley Cup in 2018, and Seattle's playing that gritty style of hockey because of that. The thing that Dallas has still shown in this series is still their top-end offensive talent has just been too good. Jason Robertson's really getting it going after he was struggling throughout the playoffs. Rupe Hintz is playing well. And Jake Ottinger is probably the best goaltender left in the playoffs. And Seattle is going to have a tough test tonight and in Game 7 if they're able to force it. But Seattle's a team that's overcome adversity well. They beat Colorado in seven games as well. As far as the Hurricanes, they're kind of turning into the underdog one seed. Like, all these injuries they have. And they're kind of playing better in the playoffs as a result of it. They failed expectations last year against the Rangers as the one seed. And now they're doing it with less talent on this team, and kudos to the Devils as well. A very good season for them. The Golden Knights and the Oilers, this is a series that has been fun to watch. The one thing I could say about this series is Connor McDavid and Dreisaitl has been that much better than everybody else. That's why I think they're the two best players in the world. That's why I think they're going to win this series. I've been saying that since going into this series. Everybody, including you, thought that the Golden Knights were going to win this series. I Mm -hmm. beg to differ. I think who is going to win this series is the two best players in all of hockey. I think one one way or another, Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid is going to find a way to win this series. Yeah, I liked Vegas at the start of the postseason to win it all. They were my pick to everything because of the depth that they had and the injuries that they got coming back. Marcia so was hurt a lot of the second half of the season. Mark Stone was hurt. They had a lot of cold goaltending carousel and they still kind of do to it because we've seen the Oilers have a lot of scoring in bunches in this series and I just like their bottom six to be able to play well against Edmonton's bottom six that really rely on a lot of the defense and the offense rely a lot on their top pairings and I just don't know how sustainable that's going to be. It's going to be game six a lot of pressure in Canada. We've seen a lot of these Canadian teams have a lot of trouble. If Edmonton can get that done, then good for them. They can make the Western Conference Finals the second straight year. If not, you're going to see another failure for these guys, and maybe they have to trade one of them. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, some NFL conversation as the New York Jets and the New York Giants schedule comes out for 2023. They play in Week 8, but boy, oh boy, these are two of the worst schedules we've seen both of these teams have in the last few years. When we come back, we will get into it here on the Weekend Crew. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out our show, The Sports Lamouts, which airs every single Wednesdays and Thursdays. Wednesdays at 7 p.m., Thursdays at 9 p.m. Only on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Well, the Giants and the Jets schedule comes out. I will say this. 
I don't know who is picking these schedules out. I don't understand how the NFL makes any decisions on how these schedules are set up every single year. How does the Jets, who were the worst team in the AFC East, have the fifth hardest schedule in the NFL this year again? Last year, they had the fifth hardest schedule in the NFL. The year before, they had the seventh hardest schedule in the NFL. This team has been one of the worst teams in the NFL, if not the worst team in the NFL, since 2012. They have had the longest drought on making the playoffs in the NFL right now. And the fact that the Jets, year in and year out, have these kind of schedules makes me sick. I understand Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback. I understand some of the acquisitions that they made in the offseason. That doesn't matter. It is what the team did the year before. Now, I understand they're in the AFC East. I understand Miami's better. I understand Buffalo is good. I understand the Patriots are a pain in the ass. But to give the Jets the fifth hardest schedule, and by the way, out of all the teams, even in their division, and they're playing practically the same teams, the Jets have the hardest schedule out of any of those teams as well. And they're starting right away with a lot of primetime games, a lot of feature matchups. The Bills, Monday Night Football to open the season on 9-11. The Chiefs, a Sunday Night Football game in week four. Broncos, which are essentially a featured game week number five. And the Eagles, another featured game in that 425 slot in week six. So a lot of tough ones right away, making it hard before the bye week and then the eventual matchup with the New York Giants. And that bet with Brandon Jacobs yes. could be something to set up for me and Speedy to get a free lunch or free dinner and a free game to go to with Brandon Jacobs and his son. So when you look at this schedule, you have Buffalo game number one. It is at home, so it does benefit the Jets. It still worries me because it is the Buffalo Bills. And we don't know what the Buffalo Bills are going to be this year. We thought that they were going to bring in a free agent wide receiver. They did not do that. Gabe Davis did not show up in the playoffs last year. I see the New York Jets this year, if they want to make a move in this division to win game one against Buffalo, take an early advantage in the AFC East. You're going to be at home. You want to win week one. Give Aaron Rodgers the momentum going into week two in Dallas, which he has absolutely killed Dallas for years in Dallas. Now, it's not with Green Bay, but this is a better, more talented New York Jet team. The Jets The last three times they've met the Dallas Cowboys, they have beaten the Dallas Cowboys. And not just beat them, they have pulverized them. And that was with quarterbacks that are no longer with this team. The Sam Darnolds of the world. The Mark Sanchez's of the world. The Jets are positioned... If they could beat Buffalo, they could go 3-0 and in their first three games because I believe the Jets are going to sweep New England this year. I don't think New England is anywhere close to the New York Jets as far as talent is concerned. And as long as Aaron Rodgers is healthy, I believe the talent on the field will show that against the New England Patriots. And what a Bills win in the beginning of the season would prove a lot too is that these guys are really meshing together right away quickly too because the Jets have a lot of new pieces on this offense. Obviously a new offense and Nathaniel Hackett, which obviously Aaron Rodgers knows, but... But these players still have to learn to an extent, too. And Buffalo's a team, yes, even though they're having a different type of defense this year, they're still much more in terms of continuity, a roster that's played together longer. So if the Jets can establish themselves quickly, because I do think they are the more talented team when they're healthy than the Bills are by a little bit. But the Bills have played together a lot longer. If the Jets could win that kind of statement game in primetime right away, which also the Jets don't have a lot of primetime experience as a team. Aaron Rodgers obviously does. But the Jets now have six primetime games this year. That's going to be a big test for them. Kansas City, week four. I don't know if they win this game. 
game, but it's a statement game. This is going to be a primetime game. With Kansas City coming to New York, this gives the Jets an advantage. Now, Aaron Rodgers has to be Aaron Rodgers against Patrick Mahomes. And even if they lose against Kansas City, if they can compete with Kansas City, if they meet in the playoffs, the Jets will have the confidence that they can beat Patrick Mahomes and that Kansas City Chiefs team. Yeah, the league has been trying to hype up this Mahomes versus Rodgers potential Super Bowl. After all these years, the Packers have had the number one seed for a while. Everyone's thinking, okay, the Chiefs, this has flashy quarterback, Packers flashy quarterback, so why not if the Jets can make a statement game at home, too? And this is going to be a tough one, too, when it comes to the Jets' biggest weakness defensively last year, which was guarding tight ends. Travis Kelsey, that would be quite a test if they This is a different defense. I agree. I'm not denying that, but still, when you look at the Bills, you look at the Cowboys, I guess the Patriots do have good tight end play, but like you're looking at teams that don't have elite tight ends. Travis Kelsey has been the best tight end in football for a long time, and if the Jets could contain him and then contain Mahomes, too, that's a big statement for that defense. The Broncos, Week 5, they should win, even though it's in Denver. Now, I did say on the sports loudmouths, the chances of the Jets beating Denver back-to-back years in Denver is questionable, but it's a different offense. Now, they have the coach of the Broncos, now the offensive coordinator of the Jets, Nathaniel Hackett. Now, he knows a lot of those players, so maybe there will be an advantage to the Jets, especially defensively against this offense and this Russell Wilson run offense, but this is a completely differently run offensive team now that Sean Payton is there. You look at that coach versus player matchup too. Sean Payton, Russell Wilson is going to elevate that a lot more. Now, Nathaniel Hackett might know the receivers, but does the defense, does Jeff Ulbrich, and that's going to be a big key. And like you said, if they do beat the Chiefs hypothetically week four, this could be a spot, it could be a tough one too, because the Broncos are no slouch this year. Philadelphia is going to be hard. The Jets have not beaten Philadelphia yet. That's why I think this could be a year that the Jets knock off Philadelphia. And I don't think the Jets are going to win every game. I've pretty much told you the Jets could win every single one of these games. And they should be up there as good as anybody as far as the teams that they're playing this year's schedule. But it's all about health. It's all about how they play, how they click early in the season. And that's why Aaron Rodgers is right now in camp working. And OTAs are going to start in the next couple of weeks. We're going to see what this Jets team is offensively and what this team is going to produce defensively, especially when they were a top five defense last year. Yeah, the Eagles as a Giants fan, I'm hoping that the Jets could help them out beating the Eagles because the Eagles look like they're building Dream Team 2.0 with the way they've drafted just so well. This offseason has just been so massive. Like, really, they don't have any major weakness on that team, maybe besides safety depth. The Eagles are so good on so many levels, and if the Jets could finally do it, end the drought. A franchise history drought. That would be impressive. Bye week, week seven, and then they have the Giants, the Chargers, and the Vegas Raiders. They should win two out of those three games. Yes. They should absolutely win two of those three games. Los Angeles is not going to be as good as they were last year. Eckler will probably be gone. There is no Allen there anymore. This is a completely differently run offensive team. And their coach could be on his way out after the end of the season, especially what he did in the playoffs against Jacksonville, up 27 to nothing. And yes, the Chargers also defensively are very old, too. A lot of guys that were injury-prone last season. Joey Bosa's been injury-prone in his career. No J.C. Jackson for a lot of the year, too. And the Raiders, uh, Week 10, too. They didn't get much better this offseason either, and they're still coached by Josh McDaniels that nobody likes. Week 11, week 12 is going to be hard. Back-to-back games against Buffalo, at Buffalo, and then going back home against Miami, so that could go either way. Atlanta, they should beat Atlanta. Atlanta's a much better team and a much better put-together team. They did add Bijan Robinson in the draft. This is going to be a high-flying offense. They have to get Kyle Pitts involved this year. They have a good offensively built team this year. They've had some defensive players in free agency, but they don't have a quarterback, and that 
that's going to be the problem for Atlanta. Houston, that should be an easy win for a young team. C.J. Stroud, Anderson, a young coach. They should beat Houston. And then there's Miami, Washington, Cleveland, and the Patriots. They should win three out of those four games. The Jets should win 11 games this year. With this schedule the way it is, they won seven last year with third-string quarterbacks. Now you have one of the best and one of the most elite quarterbacks we've seen in the last 12 years in the NFL. They should compete every single game and be in every single one of these games. Right, and the Jets, if they have league average injury luck this year too, should definitely win 11 games at least. Because yes, the division is going to be tough. And those back-to-back, the Bills and the Dolphins, I think is something that could define that season too. Because the division tiebreaker might be the difference if two or three of those teams win 11 games or 12 games. That could be the difference. So winning those games and also, like you said, a lot of borderline teams at the end of the year they should beat. They have to win three out of four. I think 11 is a good number for the Jets. Mm-hmm. I-, I think it makes sense. 11 wins. Any more than 11 will be great. If they win 12, they can possibly be a number one or number two seed. But I think more than likely, with the way the schedule is built, even with this hard schedule, I think the Jets win 11 games. The fact that people only think they're going to win nine games. Yeah. After what they did last year with the team that they had last year is crazy. This is a better offensively built team this year. They have one of the great quarterbacks in the league right now as their leader behind center. This is going to be a fun team to watch offensively and defensively throughout the season. The question is, do they stay healthy? Now for the Giants. This is going to be a really, really hard schedule. The Giants made some moves this offseason. They bring in Darren Waller, a weapon that the Giants haven't had in a while. Here's the problem. Darren Waller doesn't stay healthy. They don't have a number one wide receiver. I like what they did in the third round. Hyatt is a good wide receiver. He's not a number one. He is a number two guy. He will be the future number two guy. I was surprised that the Giants didn't bring in a free agent. There were a couple of good free agent wide receivers. Maybe Odell Beckham. I know he wanted a lot of money. Maybe Hopkins. It would have made a lot of sense bringing in a veteran guy to help out with some of these youngsters that they have. Robinson coming back from injury. They drafted him in the second round last year. I love what their tight end did last year too. Bellinger, he had a fantastic year as a rookie tight end, which they drafted I think in the fourth round. I think when you look at this schedule, they never do well when they play the Cowboys in the first game in week one. Arizona's going to stink. They should beat Arizona. San Francisco, we don't know who their quarterback's going to be. Is it Sam Darnold or is it Trey Lance? Their defense is sensational. It's going to take them a while to figure things out. It took them all the way in the second half to figure things out. And then they went on that crazy run all the way to the NFC title game. Seattle's going to be hard. Miami is going to be difficult, especially if Tua is healthy. If Mike White's the quarterback, they have a chance. If Tua is, it's going to be hard to stop that running game and stop that secondary with Ramsey and Howard. This is going to be a fun team to watch this year, especially in their secondary. Buffalo is going to be hard. Washington, it's a divisional game. Anything could happen. The Jets, that's not going to be easy. They should beat Vegas. They should beat Dallas at least once this year. They should beat Washington. They should go on a three-game winning streak. They should beat the Raiders, Dallas, and Washington. I don't care if they have to go to Dallas. They do very well in Dallas. Washington, they've had problems in Washington. The Giants. They had a tie last year in Washington. But the Washington Commanders don't have a starting quarterback. And don't tell me Sam Howell. Oh, you don't believe in Jacoby Brissett? No. The Patriots are always hard. And the Giants are going to have problems with them because they like to run the ball. And last year, especially the way the Patriots like to use their running backs as wide receivers, the Giants had problems in those screen pass lays, especially as you watch them play the Eagles. They could not stop the running backs when they were catching the ball behind the line of scrimmage. Even a team as bad as the Texans, they struggled against the screen passes with. 
Green Bay, they should be. I don't trust a young quarterback. Now, Jordan Love could be great. He's not Aaron Rodgers. It's going to take him a while. And they didn't add any offensive weapons, especially a veteran player, to play with this kid. The Saints, I think the Saints will be good with Derek Carr. The question is, are they going to do enough this year to sneak into the playoffs? The NFC stinks, so they could. They're an old defense. This is an aging team that eventually they're going to have to decide when should they start to rebuild. And I don't know when it's going to happen, but this could be the last year we see this defense all together in New Orleans. Yeah, I think you're definitely going to see that either way. Even if their defense is good, even if they win the division, their division's not great. It's still not a great recipe for long-term success. They definitely have to trade some pieces. And the last three games is just horrendous. I don't understand the NFL doing this to this Giants team. You have to play... The Eagles in Week 16, you beat the Rams, unless the Rams surprise people this year and actually win and show you that they're a high-flying offense with, uh, let me see, was the offensive coordinator for the Jets speeding? Well, little, little Fleur? Oh, that's right, right. Mike LaFleur as their offensive coordinator. Are that's you sure not it was going Peter to LaFleur? <laughs> could be. It could be his father, you know, sitting at home, calling the plays in front of his TV. So the Rams, as Mike LaFleur is the new offensive coordinator of that ridiculous team, and then Philadelphia in Week 18, the only thing thing that the Giants could benefit from this is if the Eagles decide they have such a lead in the NFC East and the NFC because it's so bad that going into week 16, they've won like already 14 games. And it doesn't matter if they play any of their starters in week 16 or week 17 and week 18 for the Philadelphia Eagles. So maybe the Giants will luck out on that, but I don't know. Yeah, the Giants are really going to have to luck out on that because the Eagles, talent-wise, should be the best team in the NFC by far. In the league. Yeah. Offensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator. Is that going to be something that slows them down in certain games where maybe Dallas has a shot to still get it? I don't think it'll happen, but seeding for the NFC can make a big difference, too. Now, the Giants, going back to the beginning of their schedule, they have something very interesting. They have two different bunches of two- and three-game road trips in the beginning of the season. That's going to be very hard. The Cardinals and the 49ers, they should beat the Cardinals, like you said, but then they got the Dolphins and the Bills. That's going to be brutal. And then they have a three-game road stretch with the Raiders, Cowboys, and Commanders. Now, they should beat some of those teams for sure, but having that many road games right away is going to be a very big test for a very young New York Giants team. And if they can weather the storm and even stay 500 at that point, the second half of their schedule gets a lot easier for them, besides the Eagles, and they should be able to win a lot of those games. I do look at both these teams' schedules as the Jets and the Giants move forward in 2023. They can make a statement, both of these teams, with these schedules as bad and as hard as they are if they can compete. I think the Giants could win nine games this year. Nine games can make the playoffs in the NFC. Absolutely. The Jets winning nine, ten games, that's not going to be enough because the AFC is so good. But the NFC... It's so weak. If the Giants win nine games this year, they absolutely could make the playoffs. Can they win nine games this year? That's the question, the way the schedule is set up. I believe they can, especially after their bye week. And we look at their bye week in week 13, they could beat Green Bay. They can beat the Saints. And they could beat the Rams. If they win three out of those five games, that's three wins. That means early in the season, all they have to do in week one, week two, and week three, they have to win two out of those three games. And honestly, the Giants will have five wins right there. So, yeah, I think the Giants could win nine games this year. And I wouldn't be surprised if the Giants win the first three games of the season. Because we don't know what the Cowboys are. We absolutely know what the Arizona Cardinals (laughs) are going to be. And San Francisco, who's their quarterback? Sam Darnold against New York. 
York again. It could be very interesting if that's the case, but it's probably going to be Trey Lance. And as far as the Jets are concerned, like I said in the beginning of this monologue, I expect the Jets to win 11 games. No matter how hard this schedule is, they are very good. And if they can stay healthy, they re-sign Quinn Williams, which I believe they will in the next couple of weeks. This defense is going to be high-flying. The secondary, everybody said their weakness is their safety play. If I have Clark and Whitehead as my starting safeties, that's not a bad safety back end. They can still trade for somebody, too. I don't think they are. I think it's going to be Clark and Whitehead. I think they move one of their corners that they have to the safety position. Maybe Mm -hmm. they move Bryce Hall to the safety position because of his size and his ability, his length. He could play safety. There's a lot of things the Jets could do. I think the Jets are going to be fun to watch this year. Not only defensively, which everybody believes they're going to be a top three defense all around, adding Al Woods, signing him just a couple of days ago, and doing what they needed to do for their offensive line. I think the Jets are going to be as good as any team in the AFC and more fun to watch as we watch them play the elite of the elite teams in the AFC. When we come back, our special guest, we love him. He's coming back. We will be talking to former Packers, Bills, and Buccaneers defensive lineman Jarrell Worthy. And by the way, he played with Aaron Rodgers. We will get into Aaron Rodgers as all you Jeff fans want to learn a little bit about Aaron Rodgers. Jarrell will give you the information as you should be very excited to have one of the elite quarterbacks quarterbacking your New York Jets. When we come back, Jarrell Worthy here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to The Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website by going to worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all the shows throughout the week, including, ladies and gentlemen, the Sports Lamouts with me and Speedy Petey every single Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. Great shows, great content, great guests. Listen to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network every single week. And if you miss any of the live shows, you can check Apple Podcasts at 1.5 million downloads. And you can check out all the shows that you miss, all the interviews that we've had over the last couple of weeks. Check out Apple Podcasts, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And now, ladies and gentlemen, a friend of the show, very happy to have him on. He knows a little bit about Aaron Rodgers. We are now talking to former Packers, Bills, and Buccaneers defensive lineman, Jarrell worthy. Jarrell, what's up, man? Man, what's going on, fellas? Earl, Speedy, what's going on, man? I appreciate you guys having me back on the show, man. It's an honor. Well, it's an honor for us having you on. We have Packer fans out of their damn minds thinking, we have the love. Meanwhile, the Jets have the Raj, which the Raj could be pounding out the AFC this year. But before we get into that, tell us, how are you and your family doing? COVID-19, it's over. Finally, you don't have to wear masks. Actually, you don't even have to wear a mask when you're talking live on a live radio show. How are you? (laughs) Dude, man, things have been great. Family's been great kids uh they're just finishing up track things have been going well it's sunny down here in atlanta georgia we've actually been well our governor never shut things down so it's been <laughs> status quo so chugging and driving for a couple years now we've been doing our thing so they're not forcing you to get shots like they did over here for us no we've been pretty good man you know how it is with us man unfortunately yeah. i was forced to take shots it'd be a different shot down here in the south, hopefully it's not in the ass we were talking to former packers bills and buccaneers defensive lineman jarrell worthy our 
Aaron Rodgers has been the talk of this offseason. Before he even decided to go to the New York Jets, everybody, ESPN, CBS, Yahoo Sports, nobody cared about free agency. Everybody was wondering where was Aaron Rodgers going? Was he retiring? Was he staying with the Packers? Or was he heading somewhere else, the Jets? Some people thought he's going to the 49ers. He always wanted to be a 49er. That didn't happen. He's now a New York Jet. Are you surprised that the Packers decided to part ways with the great Aaron Rodgers? No, I'm not surprised. The Packers are known for sticking to their guns when it comes to players, when it comes to personnel. I think the Packers have been standing strong for the last couple of years with A-Rod as far as how they went about the draft, acquiring the players, fingering back to certain players that they think that they could have won a championship with, relying really more so on Aaron Rodgers and his ability to make other players better in order to kind of get them over the hump. I think the move to the Jets is not necessarily surprising because they're willing to sell anything in order to get a quarterback in the door that can help those guys win games. But I think at the end of the day, Aaron's happy. He's in a situation where he's in an organization that he feels loved. He feels the love and that camaraderie walking through the door and might turn out to be a Tom Brady 2.0 like they did down in Tampa. So I wasn't surprised when he went out there, but it's different than seeing him in that green and gold. It's still green. It, it is still green. But 12 is 12. It's going to be a little bit different to see him out there in that number eight. Robert Sala, he's all in on him. He's got a defense that's going to be able to support him. He's got young weapons out there that can do, and they're going to listen. Having Alan Lazar come over there, a young guy that he's been able to help build his career. Randall Cobb that's going to be over there that's going to be able to help those younger guys with talent, play with Aaron Rodgers the right way, get in and out their cuts and their breaks the right way. The communication, it's key that they brought in those two guys right there because A-Rod is A-Rod. He can take four or five guys out of a target and win a football game. So it's going to be key if they understand and communicate well. And I think they should have success. But as we've seen over the last couple of days, once that schedule released, they're going to have a tough time coming out the gate against Buffalo. Oh, we got the schedule and we spoke about it early in the yeah. show already. We'll get into that with you. No, absolutely, man. I think A-Rod, he's got a shot to come out and prove how great he can be. It's going to be tough, man, for both teams, for both organizations moving past this transaction. Aaron Rodgers actually mentioned in his Pat McAfee show appearance, he was mentioning some things about the Packers front office, the way they, they've run. And maybe the other reason that the trade took so long when it was supposed to be in March and it ended up being in April. So you as a former Packers player, is their front office like that much more uniquely run than some of these other teams? Obviously they're a fan ownership team, but in your time playing there, did you see anything different? Well, they're a great organization from top to bottom. They believe more so in the long play as far as the team, more so than the right now. They've never really made any trades or any moves or transactions from personnel perspectives that was spontaneous. It took a lot to get Julius Peppers there. It took a lot to get Charles Woodson there before that. It took even a lot to get Reggie White there. Those three Hall of Famers, it took a lot to kind of get them to wear the Packer uniform, but those careers turned out to be something really special, and they end up helping those guys win championships. But I would say, when it comes down to A-Rod, they're not going to bend and break. They've had Hall of Fame quarterbacks for the last 30 years, so they're not going to change their formula just because A-Rod is starting to feel uneasy in the the locker room. Although, I would say, if they could have did some things about going to get him some veteran leadership as far as receiving play, a lot of the times people fail to realize when he was successful, Greg Jennings, Donald Driver, Jordy Nelson. These were guys that they had a few years in the league. They had proven themselves and they were valuable pieces in order for those guys to get over the hump. And for you to treat him like a LeBron James of the NFL and you try to just put Booby Gibson around him and a few <laughs> other guys, that's the results you're going to get. Alan Lazard's career is starting to pick up. You had Watson last year who really started to come on later in the year, but that's not always going to be the process, man. The way these kids are coming out nowadays, man, they're not necessarily getting taught more in-depth offenses like Kenyon Rogers is used to. These guys are coming from spread offenses where they have maybe one or two reads. They're not necessarily understanding the more complexities to to the route running nowadays. So if they can get the communication right in New York with those young, talented receivers, it's going to be like that Kurt Warner, St. Louis Rams team, man. I'm telling you, these guys are going to 
going to score a lot of points. We are talking to former Packers, Bills, Buccaneers, defensive lineman Jarrell Worthy on the Pat McAfee show. Aaron was mm-hmm. taking shots at the organization, the Green Bay Packers as a whole. They don't know how to treat former players. They pushed out Jordy Nelson. They pushed out Randall Cobb. They brought him back because Aaron wanted him back. They pushed out Brett Favre. Now they're pushing out Aaron Rodgers. Do you believe that the organization doesn't respect the veteran players that have really put this team together and put this team on their shoulders all these years that helped this team be successful year in and year out in the NFC? I don't necessarily say that. I just think that the Packer organization has been blessed with a tremendous amount of Hall of Famers. When you really go down the rosters of a lot of these great Packers teams, man, these guys are wearing, a lot of these guys are wearing gold jackets. So it's very hard for those guys to treat Aaron Rodgers any different than Brett Favre or any different than Barstar before him because all of those guys were champions. All of those guys had an opportunity to wear the green and gold jersey and they all paid the price. A-Rod just has to understand that tradition is tradition. Green Bay hasn't really moved the needle for anybody that's walked through those doors. And I could see if A-Rod had an opportunity to win two or three, if he was in that Tom Brady, that upper echelon room of, of champions, I think at the end of the day, he can move the needle with his voice and with his comments. But when we're only able to win one, it's very hard for you to walk through the door and just say everything that you want. Even though the stats are there, the percentages as far as the winning isn't there. It's an interesting transition for him too, going from Green Bay to New York. Green Bay, you played there. They had the great local following. They had the Packers radio shows. They had all those events they did before the season. And now you go to the Jets, which is a media limelight. Jarrell played for the Bills. Yep. He knows the yep. AFC yes, East. He does. That kind of transition, can you see that kind of thing being very good? And does Aaron Rodgers, do you think, off the field have that kind of personality that will suit well for a big city? It's going to be very different than how he moved in Green Bay. He's not going to have to hide his face. In New York, there's tons of stars walking the streets of New York. So he's not necessarily going to hide his face, but he's going to get scrutinized for the way he drinks water. He's got to be prepared for that. He's got to understand that everything he's doing is going to get criticized. I honestly think that he should just come out and be in that more how LeBron has been with the Lakers. You know that you're great, but you're now starting to empower a lot of the young talent around you. And now you're bringing their greatness out and seeing how good they can actually be. And so I think if Aaron Rodgers takes that approach, he's been doing that so far by being there with OTAs, going to be there for minicamp, working through the smaller details. If he can get in the situation empowering those guys, like how we were witnesses to see in Green Bay. I remember pregame him walking up to the wide receivers and asking those guys what they like for the day. But that was something I had never seen with a quarterback. And even when I went on to another team, I've never seen a quarterback walk up to his guys like, hey, well, what are you guys feeling today? And if you got a guy like that empowering a lot of that young talent like Garrett Wilson and the group out there, they're going to have some wins under their belt. You look at the New York Jets, they bring in Nathaniel Hackett of the offensive coordinator for Aaron Rodgers with two back-to-back MVPs. And Aaron Rodgers speaks very highly of Nathaniel Hackett. I think one of the main reasons why he decided to come to New York was Nathaniel Hackett. What Nathaniel Hackett did with the Broncos, it really didn't stand out. Maybe he's not a good head coach, but this guy has been a successful offensive coordinator in the NFL, especially with the Green Bay Packers. What are your thoughts to Nathaniel Hackett's offense in New York and with Aaron Rodgers, with the weapons that he has in the Garrett Wilsons, the Randall Cobbs now, the Allen Lazards, the Conklins, and then the running game. Brees Hall, this kid Israel, and Michael Carter. There's weapons all over. Probably more weapons than Aaron Rodgers and Nathaniel Hackett has ever had in any place in coaching and quarterbacking in their careers. I think it's going to go well for those guys. I think the biggest thing for them is just health, staying healthy. If you're having a receiving core that's four, five, six deep that can all run routes, get out their breaks, run a lot of those RPOs that A-Rod loves to run. I think the biggest thing for the Jets, honestly, is to get another running back and to continue to invest in the tight end play. A-Rod's success is very successful when he has a vertical threat at the tight end position and somebody that can stretch the field down the middle and going up against those safeties. So although the receivers look very good, they're shiny new toys, you're going to need somebody that's going to be able to do a lot of that dirty work. 
that A-Rod is very good at getting the ball out to the edge, a lot of that play action pass. So I think investing more in the Jets running game and, and in that tight end room is going to give them the ability that they need to actually be successful. There's a lot of good defense in that AFC East. New England is going to be ready defensively. You know how Bill Belichick comes to the table. You've got those young guys and that talented secondary down in Miami. You've got the Buffalo Bills trying to come back and prove their point. Tredavious White had a down season last year. Micah Hyde coming off injury. So there's going to be guys gunning for A-Rod and they're going to get those guys there's twice no a year. no Leslie Frazier anymore. No Leslie Frazier, but the secondary is back. The camaraderie is there. Mm-hmm. A lot of the continuity is there. So they're going to have opportunities to win games and get themselves out of tough situations. The Bills have to invest in pass rushers because we saw late in the year, if you couldn't get to the quarterback, those guys in that secondary weren't able to hold up at all. So they've got to invest in getting to the quarterback, but it's a perfect game to see it. You mm-hmm. got one great passes in Aaron Rodgers and you know Vaughn is going to be looking to get his hands on A-Rod if he gets a chance. So it's going to be an exciting Monday night. Yeah, I actually wanted to ask you about the Bills because you played there for three years and your last year you were coached by Sean McDermott who's now going to have to yeah. take over that defense and now Josh Allen coming off an injury real year, you're still a great quarterback. Like, do you think they did enough to be able to keep up with the improvements that the Jets and the Dolphins both made this offseason because they probably were two of the flashiest teams? I think so far they've done enough, but I think they're going to do more. They're known to grab a veteran or two during the preseason and adding to their roster and then there's the trade deadline. I have an opportunity to make a trade before that. I think the biggest need is for them is running back still too. The Jets are going invest in the running back room. I think the Bills need to beat those guys to it. You've got a lot of guys out there on the market that are available. And then you also have guys in the last year, their contracts, i.e. a Derrick Henry that would look great in a Bills uniform running down the middle of the field. So taking the ball out of Josh Allen's hands and allowing him to be great later in the game is what the Bills essentially need. When you're exasperating him early in that first, second quarter with all the fancy plays, and although it gets big chunks of yardage, it looks great. He barely has anything left in the third and fourth quarter, man. And then all of a sudden he starts to make the immature like plays because he's fatigued I think you've got to find a running back that can help slow down the pace for those guys and keep those guys in third and manageable situations we are talking to former Packers Bills and Buccaneers defensive lineman Jarrell Worthy you're in Georgia and the Bulldogs are just a dominant force a bunch of them have now gone (laughs) to the Philadelphia Eagles so let's call them the Philadelphia Bulldogs because they're (laughs) a dominant force Jalen Carter Jordan Davis this team is going to be stacked this is going to be a good defense for for many, many years to come. Were you surprised that Philadelphia added all those pieces, all those Bulldogs, and do you think Philadelphia is as good as their roster shows them to be going into this season? Absolutely. I think they're every bit as good as their roster. The way that they play, it's really about C-ball, hit-ball. D-line is very aggressive up front. I think they continue to get better at the linebacker position. Run game and in coverage is something that they had a little bit of a concern with last year, but their secondary was able to help mask a lot of their issues in the interior as far as the linebacker position. You know how they were able to do up front with that pass rush, man, having four or five guys that had 10 or more sacks on the year. So if you're adding to the bunch with the guys that already have played together and have continuity together and already have a brotherhood going in and on third and short, they know what to do. I think that's the biggest key is people don't understand is you literally brought in three more starters to add to a group that already has Hall of Fame mm-hmm. players up front. You can only get better. Jalen Hurst just had to make sure that his turnovers are low this year. They were low last year and if they continue to stay low there's there's it's gonna be very hard for this team to be beaten what is the difference with locations warm weather versus cold weather you played green bay and in buffalo and then you played against hot weather teams like the miami so which do you like better as far as weekly preparation i really love when i played down in tampa i think if i can make this analogy our d-line coach always used to say we need to treat our bodies like a high performance sports car and so if you have that up in the in the bitter cold that needs to be turned on a little bit and the preparation (laughs) takes 
takes a little longer. So when you're down in Tampa, man, I can walk outside and just like that sports car, I can turn that car on and get the driving. So when I'm down there in Tampa, man, and I was running out to practice, by the time I jogged over to my group, I was already had a, a, a lather of sweat going on and everything was ready to go. In Buffalo, man, I'd have to been out there an hour and a half before going through warm-ups and drills to make sure my body was prepared to compete. I really enjoyed being down there in Florida. Loved it. It's a lot of great scenery. It's great to play next to the water and all those things, but it's not the same as being up there in Orchard Park or Green Bay, Wisconsin. Those cheese heads, you got those Bills fans jumping off table. <laughs> There's nothing like that atmosphere. So being down south, being in Florida, it's great for the eyes, but if you're talking about being a true football fan in the nitty gritty in that frozen tundra, man, it's nothing like being in, in Buffalo or Green Bay. We are talking to former Packers, Bills, and Buccaneers defensive lineman Darrell Worthy, friend of the show. Very, very good guy. You were down in Tampa Bay for a short time. Have you ever been to Mons Venus? Uh, look, I gotta stay out the way, man. <laughs> they tell us when we first got out of there, man, you gotta stay out one of the places, Del Mabry, you gotta stay out the Del Mabry down there in Tampa, <laughs> man. Just like a whole chain of strip clubs and everything like that. So, no, I've never been to Mons Venus. Maybe I'll add it to the list. Don't tell your wife, though. <laughs> no, I gotta shut it down. It's interesting because you've played all over the place, in cold places, warm places, and the game has changed. And with the speed of the game, even from 2010 to now, the game is more open. It's become more of an offensive game. Are you surprised that these wide receivers are getting the money that they're getting now and demanding these contracts before their rookie contracts are even over? They're going to go step in step with the quarterbacks. A lot of the game is centered around the quarterbacks. You either have to support the guys in which makes the quarterbacks great, or you got to make sure that the quarterback has the greatest offensive line in the world. So these receivers, man, if they're out there going over a thousand yards each and every season, doing what it takes to make their quarterback get these $150, $200 million guaranteed contracts, I mean, I definitely want a piece of the pie. And that's how it goes with defense, like defensive line and, and cornerbacks. You pay those guys premium dollars because they're paid to stop the quarterbacks, which is the highlight of the NFL. If I can go out there and get six, seven, eight, nine sacks, I'm definitely going to be compensated for my work because it's a tough position and it's not guaranteed in order to get those statistics. So receivers, everything has to go right in order for them to make the catches and get the stats that they accumulate. So they deserve to get paid. Buffalo, there was an incident this year with DeMar Hamlin, unfortunately collapsing on the field and the NFL had to change a lot of things around. But in terms of the approach of the way they handled that situation, now there's a shot that he said he's going to want to come back to play this year. So what is your thoughts on those aspects of that situation that happened with DeMar Hamlin? They handled that situation perfectly. I think given the facts and everything that took place, man, he was able to get to the hospital. He was able to get resuscitated there on the field as well. Talking with doctors, the stats coming out that if he was anywhere else other than the NFL football field, then his life could have been in jeopardy. Just the amount of medical staff that is allocated to one football game potentially saved his life, man. And so kudos to him, kudos to what he's been able to do since his recovery. A shout out to everybody that was been able to donate to his foundation because the things that people's lives that he's going to be able to impact from that is beyond football in itself. Coming back to football, we're natural born hunters, so it's natural for him to want to compete. You pray that he continues to sin because he was moved into that starting role when Micah High went down and he was playing good football. He played under my former defensive coordinator, Pat Narduzzi with Pittsburgh. So I know he's a tough guy. I know Pat produces a lot of tough guys out there at Pitt. So at the end of the day, man, kudos to him if he can make it back and have a full recovery. But what he's going to be able to do off the field is going to be light years beyond his impact on the actual football field. The last time we spoke, you were working for an organization. You were doing something with kids. Tell the fans, are you still working with that organization? And tell us a little bit about the organization you were working for. I am the CEO, co-owner of Metro 7. We are a national travel 707 team. We are in the business of helping kids get recruited. 
recruited, helping kids get connected with coaches, understanding the college business from NILs to interactions, to interviews, to what it takes to walk on a college campus and actually thrive. So we've been around about five, six years. We are national qualifiers each one of those years. We are probably one of the top 25, top 15, 707s in North America. And so we continue to produce great talent and you can follow us at youthsportspartners.org. That's the nonprofit organization in which we are in conjunction with. And we just try to do our best to give kids opportunities at the next level. You're doing a great job. I definitely want to come down there and check out your organization. Yeah, Maybe please, we'll do a please, live show yeah. this come summer. Absolutely. Absolutely. You let get you down there for a tournament. Speedy will contact you. Maybe we'll go down there. I'll do the color. I'm crazy. Speedy does the play-by-play. We'll come down there and do play-by-play for your event. We would love to. Absolutely. There's a lot of talent down here, man, in Georgia. We invite everybody to come down here and compete, man. So it's something in the water down here. I can't lie to you. <laughs> this kid's about 13, 14 years old, six, seven, six, eight, walking around full beard. Like, yeah, coach, I'm 14. We know Brandon <laughs> Jacobs is down there. Brandon <laughs> yeah. Jacobs moved down there and his son is a big beast, a five-star recruit. And this kid is going to be a top. Recruit. We have a bet, me and Brandon. If the Jets <laughs> have a better record than the Giants by the time they play week eight, he is okay. taking me and Speedy and his son out to a dinner and out to the Giants and Jet game. Now, if the Giants have a better record than the Jets by the yeah. time they play week eight, I have to take him and his son and Speedy out to dinner and take them to a Jet and Giant game. So it's going That's to be, be tough, man. Yeah. You got two good teams. One's a playoff team last year. I know the Jets are definitely going to be a playoff team this year. One quick question. Do you think that there could be potentially three teams out that AFC East that make the playoffs? Yes, I think the AFC East is the division that's going to have three teams coming out of it. It could be the Patriots, too. If the Patriots somehow yeah. show up, Macaroni Jones actually is in shape and makes some throws. O'Brien is actually an offensive coordinator. You're not have two yeah. defensive coordinators calling the plays yeah. as the offensive coordinator. <laughs> so, yeah, I think there will be three teams coming out of the AFC East, but also even the Baltimore division. Baltimore, Cincinnati, the Browns, Pittsburgh, all four of those teams got better this offseason. The AFC is absolutely loaded. Yeah, I think one of those divisions is getting three, the other's going to get two. Yeah. In some yeah, combination. Yeah. yeah, no, I definitely believe it. Tua's got to come up. He's got to show up, deliver, man. He's got to make sure he stack on what he did last year and just stay out the way, man. He's got to <laughs> throw the ball away and slide. <laughs> Move, bitch. Get out oh, the way. Yeah. That's what throw we got to Tyreek Hill knows how to get out of the way. He claims he's faster than Usain Bolt. <laughs> Little ludicrous. I should send that track to him. <laughs> Every game. Oh, uh, Jarrell, you are awesome. We will talk to you. Speedy will reach out to you. We'll do something this summer. We'll definitely work with you. It'll be fun. We'll drive down or fly down to Georgia and do something with you guys. We would love to. It'll be, be an awesome experience, man. We'll figure it out. All right. Jarrell Worthy, a friend of the show. Aaron Rodgers, Jarrell Worthy. Yes, as he is worthy for Aaron. I don't know if the Packers are worthy enough for love, but you know. All I know is you're going to get a lot of Aaron Jones this year. I'm sure we will. Will he get any love? That's the question. <laughs> he can put up LaDamian Tomlinson numbers, man. The That's way that true. Jarrell Worthy, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Jarrell. All right, now. You guys have a good one, man. Speedy, bro. It's always a pleasure, dog. Yes. Thank <laughs> you for joining us tonight. See, everybody loves you, Speedy. What is it? Is it your yeah. hair? Is it the beard? Is it the mustache? Maybe it's the smell. Oh, Maybe it it's could... a potent smell. You smell him? I don't know. That'd be pretty impressive if Jarrell could smell me all the way from George. I don't know. It's a potent <laughs> smell. I sometimes hold my nose when I walk into the studio. I don't know. Yeah, boys, <laughs> all right. Thanks, Jarrell. Hey, dude. Have a good night, fellas. <laughs> Mr. Jarrell Worthy. He is fantastic. We should absolutely 
go down to Georgia and check him out. Yeah, that's quite a program he's got over there. A seven on seven, a lot of scrimmages, a lot of all different age groups, and they re- recruit him very well. And especially with the NIL that's taking over college football, too. He's grooming these guys very well and does a fantastic job over there. And a fantastic guy, a more than worthy candidate there to we tell go. you about Aaron Rodgers as well. He knows a lot about Aaron. And by the way, it's in Georgia over there. As we know, our friend Brandon Jacobs lives down there now. And his son has been starring over there. A five-star recruit and looking forward forward to seeing our friend Brandon Jacobs week eight as mm-hmm. he takes us out to dinner and a little bit of football because I believe the Jets will have a better record than the Giants by then. As long as the Giants win the game, that's what matters. No, as long <laughs> as the Jets win the game, that's all that matters because that's wishful hoping or wishful thinking. That's not going to happen. Fair. When we come back, Chaz and our friend Paolo is back as he is no longer in Greece. He's in Canada, in Montreal. So when we come back, Paolo and Chaz, Moneyline Mania, here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week. They are live. You can check us on Apple Podcasts, 1.5 million downloads. If you miss any one of our shows, tune in. Check it out when you're at work, chilling out with your boys. You can hang out and listen to the World Wide Sports Radio Network every single week if you miss the live shows. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we call this segment Moneyline Mania. This is Moneyline Mania with Jazz and the crew. We have Chaz and we have Paolo. What's up, boys? Everything is going good. Just relaxing, ready to make more money. So far, we're doing great every week with the soccer. Is Paolo in Greece or he's in Canada? No, now I'm in Canada. Uh, just checking. He's been threatening to take me to Greece. For three years now. You're holding Chaz back from seeing the wonders of Greece? No, the pandemic had a lot to do with it. Chaz is going to see the wonders of Serbia. I'm going to take him to the betting party. Ah, Serbia. That's an interesting country. Well, they might have an NBA champion soon if the Nuggets can win the NBA finals. I promised him I'd go to the betting party. Now that the corona's gone, we're all going to head down. The rest of the world has been doing sports betting forever. So the United States is coming into it now and trying to do it differently or do it better. But it ain't broken. Don't fix it. I'll tell you you this i am broke and i will fix it no i'm just kidding i'm not broke but <laughs> after betting on speedy's picks friday night i asked speedy are you picking the over or the under in the nick game 207 he told me the over and of course it went on the under so i lost myself 40 bucks where i could have oh, won 60 man. something bucks so thank you speedy for costing me money again well that's why they're the handicappers and not me very good point so paulo you got a winner for sunday definitely soccer less usual Of course. This one is 8.30 my time, so I don't have to get up that early. It's Mother's Day. I'm going to church, so I'll be up playing at Arsenal. In that game, I like Arsenal to win that game. I see Arsenal scoring at least over one and a half goals. I like Arsenal a lot in that game because the Arsenal have to continue winning to keep up with Manchester. So I like Arsenal. But mostly, I like the Arsenal over one and a half goals. I like that. Brighton is a hard team to predict. One week, they can be up. And one week they can be down. Arsenal, they're pretty steady this year. So I, I do like Arsenal. That's the best part, guys, about betting Paolo's team totals. Because they could score six minutes in. 
and then they can score again right before halftime. And even if they end up giving up two goals in the second half in a draw, you won already. By halftime, you already won the bet. Remember, this is my first venture into sports now since the Derby. But I hit the trifecta in the Derby. I was the first ticket I put in because I knew that Tommy and I had plenty of choices. We could smoke it. We could chew it with gummies. We were drinking beer. We were drinking wine. We were going to have a good time. It was beautiful. It was like 70 degrees in the paddock. That was the very first ticket I put in when I got to Del Mar. Sunday, 5.30 in the morning, my time. Ajax over two and a half in the game and Ajax to win. Ajax to win is my play of the week. This is the play that I'm focusing on and I'm putting all in on this play. Uh, 1.27. Juventus and Cremones. In that game, I like Juventus to score over 0.5 goals. And I wouldn't be surprised if both teams score in that game because Juventus has got a game on Thursday in Seville. They finished 1-1. They might have a lapse, but I definitely see them scoring a goal. Barcelona, Espanyol. I like Espanyol to score over 0.5 goals. I don't think Barcelona, because they have already clinched it, I can see goals in that game. I actually see two and a half goals in that game, and I like Espanyol to score over 0.5 goals. Great Super League. AEK Athens. Versus Volos. Ike to win. Panathinaikos versus Eris. Yeah, Panathinaikos to win. And the last game, Olympiakos covers 0.5 goals. We're doing our show and we're editing the calls. Most of the guys would give three plays out because this way you don't break even. Though you could push. Usually two or one, one or two, three and oh. The Pau's oh, oh and one more game. And one more game. And he did it and he ended up giving up nine plays. And me and the kid laughed because it happened every week. Don't get me wrong, he won more than he lost, too. Chad, I picked the Buffalo Bills at 25-1 to 1 to win. They were double-digit dogs. That oh. was with Josh Allen when they played uh, against the Minnesota Vikings. Yes, the infamous to... Josh Allen hurdles the Vikings defender game, yes. Yeah, Chad yeah. is very good. I learned a lot from him about the NFL, and that's why I do, I do well in the NFL. It's football year-round. I started writing, Petey, I included you in my stuff because we do <laughs> laugh about the Chargers curse, right? Yes. Always. I mean, think about it. Of all the teams that had drafted two quarterbacks to win Super Bowls, they're on the list, and they got no Super Bowls. See, Chaz, all good things start when the Chargers blow a big halftime lead, including your no easy sports data. It. So yeah, the easy the sports data yeah, work. Yeah, XFL I mean, did really well this year. It's working for USFL. But I haven't really bet the UFSL much because it's too early. I like to have enough data. So now we got four games under our bet. I feel pretty good. And we got two games on Sunday. New Jersey. Four straight this year. All four of their games go under the number, and they're playing Philly. Now, New Jersey doesn't play in New Jersey, and Philly doesn't play in Philly. They got four spots, and all the teams kind of rotate through and play in those four spots. So the home and away stuff, it's not as much home field advantage as that's the locker room you come out of. You're both playing at the same stadium. So here's what I got. New Jersey's running the ball. They're getting 168 yards a game on the ground. They're allowing 15 points. They got 12 sacks in four games. They've only allowed three touchdown passes in four games. In the second half, they have given up 10 points or less to every single team they played. Those are all pretty good things. Philly is only scoring 16 points. They're only getting 50 yards a game on the ground. 168 rushing yards. That's way above average. The defense is allowing 27. It's a pretty big point spread. Six and a half, but I'm laying six and a half. And then in the last game, Memphis at New Orleans. That's the other thing. I understand you're marketing the way you want to market, but the USFL is marketing by the nickname, not by the city, right? I don't want to care who the Maulers are. I just want to know what's Pittsburgh's stats. So it was a pain in the butt setting up the data because you've got to first know the names. I don't bet names. You could bet 
names, you just bet against the Chargers every week. You did pretty good. <laughs> All right, so we got Memphis. They're only getting 68 rushing yards a game. Their defense is allowing 27 points, but that's a lot. After the first couple games, they were averaging 34, so they're actually doing better. There's not many times, guys, you could say your team's allowing 27 points a game, but you're doing better. They allow 10 passing touchdowns a game, and they're allowing 138 rushing yards. So they're getting doubled up in the rushing yards. The Breakers, New Orleans Breakers, won every game. New Jersey, all four games have gone under. So if I see that, I think you're an idiot not to bet the fifth game to go under. And it's the same thing here. If you see the New Orleans is 4-0 against the spread after four games, why would you not assume that they're going to be 5-0? and Well, guess what? They score 30 points a game. They get 350 yards a game. That's a lot of yards. If you get 350 yards, that means you're going up and down the field three and a half times. You should come away with at least 20 points out of that, shouldn't you? The line's the last thing I look at. Yeah, so those are both big point spreads. And the first one, I like the under. Second one, I like the over. If I was going to bet a four-teamer, and I probably will sprinkle. I like to sprinkle little four-teamers just in case that I was exactly right because you get 10 to 1 on your money. XFL. I'm doing a money line mania. Doing DC minus six and a half for three quarters of a unit, a money line for a unit, and then the second half, I got DC and I got the over in the second half, too. So I got four bets on that game. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I have my Sunday's picks. 135, the Yankees and Rays. I have the Yankees winning on the money line. On Sunday as well, I have the Mets and the Nationals. I have the Mets winning on the money line Sunday at 135. And my final pick of the day, I have the Braves, Blue Jays. I have the Braves winning on the money line on Sunday. So those are my three picks of the week. Three picks for me, four picks for Chaz, and quite a few from Paulo over there in Canada. What part of Canada, Paulo, are you at right now? Right now I'm in Montreal. I actually wanted to go and check out Montreal when I was up there visiting friends in Toronto. But I'm looking forward to going back up there. I love Canada. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful country. You should come down here and me and my friend will take you out. We'll take you everywhere. There's quite a few places I would like to go and check out in Montreal. If we ever brought Speedy over there, I don't think we'll ever find Speedy again. <laughs> I'll be lost in the Canadian wilderness. We really appreciate both of you guys joining us. As always, Jazz, keep doing what you're doing. And Paolo, thank you so much. Paolo has been dead on with his soccer picks, and Chaz has been doing well. You guys have been stuck between 80 and 82% dead on with your picks. So if you guys don't listen to this segment, shame on you because you'd be winning money. Thank you, Chaz, and thank you, Paolo. It was a pleasure, guys. We'll do it again next week. Thanks. Have a nice day. Moneyline Mania, guys. As always, Chaz and Paolo and Wes and John and John from Reno. All of these guys. Unbelievable. Really unbelievable. When we come back, Speedy, what do we got? A little baseball and some crunch time. Here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Check out the Worldwide Sports Radio website by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out the Sports Loudmouths with me and Speedy Petey every week. Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. Great shows, great content, great guests. If you miss any of our live shows throughout the week, you can check out Apple Podcasts or Spotify, but Apple Podcasts, 1.5 million downloads on Apple Podcasts. You can check out 
our show, the Sports Loudmouth, the Wise Guys, Game On, any one of our shows that are posted up every single week. And you can tune in and listen to the great content. And by the way, the great guests that we have throughout the week. Thank you, Jarrell Worthy, for joining us, as always, a friend of the show, good pal. And by the way, thank you for telling all the fans that they're silly thinking Jordan Love is Aaron Rodgers, because he's not. And Aaron Rodgers is going to do wonders for the New York Jets if they can keep him on his feet and keep him healthy. So you heard it from Jarrell. He can make anybody look good. Anybody, including Speedy. Could you imagine Speedy on the field? I would say Speedy 500 yards with Aaron Rodgers. No, I'll get hurt. I'll get hurt before that. Whatever. I think Aaron will put the ball in your hands. You just have to catch it. Jarrell Worthy, thank you very much. Thank you to Chaz and Paolo for Moneyline Maniac. Guys, winners. 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 Handicappers give you winners. And that's what they do. 10-1, and one, Paolo, last week. Unbelievable. It's absolutely insane. If you like soccer or you want to bet on something, bet on Paolo's picks in soccer. He is dead on. But before we get into crunch time, there's a lot to get into with baseball, but we're going to squeeze it down to very little. Aaron Judge returns from his hip injury. I don't know if Aaron Judge is going to be healthy all season with this hip injury. When you hear a hip injury... It means surgery. You remember with the Yankees a couple years ago with Alex Rodriguez, his final few seasons with the New York Yankees, you heard a hip problem. Now, Aaron Judge is not doing steroids. Alex Rodriguez was, and he was shooting himself in the hip. But when you hear a hip problem like this, his power comes from his hips, comes from the lower part of his body, his legs. And when you're hearing a hip and there's a lot of torque in his hip, it only spells more IL stints. I don't know if that's going to happen. Hopefully he can stay healthy. Hopefully he gets a little hot when it gets warmer out and hits 13 home runs in a month. That's what you expect. Giancarlo comes back and they go on a home run spree. Hopefully it happens. But in this American League East, the hardest division in sports, it's not even close. Baltimore, as good as they are and young as they are right now. The Blue Jays with that roster, that pitching staff now. The Tampa Bay Rays, the best team in baseball. The Boston Red Sox, who are young but figuring out that they need to build through their farm system, not bring in overpaid, overpriced players. And then there's the Yankees, who could be the best out of all of them when healthy. But Carlos Rodon, their winning pitcher, has not pitched one game, one inning, one pitch so far since he's been a Yankee. And that's scary. Luis Savarino's coming back. Nestor Cortez isn't the same pitcher he was last year, which we expected. The only guy that has pitched well is Garrett Cole. You want to call him Kermit? You can call him whatever you damn well please. He's the best pitcher in baseball as far as I'm concerned. In one bad game, his last start, it didn't look good, but he's 5-0. and He has a 2.22 ERA, a 1.07 whip. How many pitchers? Maybe the Cubs pitcher is the only one that has something close to him right now. Yeah, I think Shane McClanahan with the Rays, too, is the only other one that's close. He's going to be up for a Cy Young in the American League this year. It's no question that he is. But they need to get healthy. 14 injuries right now. They have all these youngsters up. Pereza and Volpe. Volpe's starting to figure things out. That's a good sign for the Yankees. Dominguez could be up a lot sooner than later. This roster needs reinforcements, but Aaron Boone has kept the troops over 500. As long as Aaron Judge can stay healthy and Giancarlo gets back into this lineup, this lineup will figure things out. I think they could still win the division or at least 
be one of the wild card teams. Yeah, and you mentioned Alex Rodriguez versus Aaron Judge. Alex Rodriguez, at the end of his career, I think also was more of a DH, whereas Aaron Judge they're trying to use still as an outfielder because of Stanton, because they have to use Stanton as a DH when he's been healthy because of all his injuries. So there's a big difference there. Obviously, they brought in Bader to try to make sure that Judge doesn't play as much center field, and we've seen the Yankees rotate him out of center field even when Bader was hurt, too. That's helped him to an extent, but yeah, you're right. A hip injury like that is definitely concerning. A guy that has good opposite field power, a guy that has tremendous bat speed, too, for somebody his size too that could be definitely something that could wear out over time so Aaron Boone is going to have to manage that accordingly even with him coming back now but again with all the other injuries the Yankees have they have to try their best to be able to balance it out between still trying to win at this point just weather the storm for the time being to stay alive in this division that has been loaded all season long it's on a record-setting pace right now for an individual division as far as the New York Mets are concerned Max Scherzer does not look like he's going to be healthy this year and I've been telling you Mets fans when they brought him in They overpaid him. He is on his way out. And the same thing with Justin Verlander. He is a little bit better right now than Max Scherzer, but not much. And Verlander's been fighting injury already early this season. This pitching staff is old. This roster is young. The pitching staff is old. I don't know what this rotation is, and I don't know what this rotation is going to be as the season slowly moves to the middle around the All-Star break. The questions will be asked, where do they go at the trade deadline if this team is a playoff-bound team? And how much do they have to give up to bring in another pitcher, which they're very expensive. So I don't think the Mets are in a very good position. They're not winning. They're not getting the pitching that they need. And they're not hitting, which has been a big problem. Pete Alonso has been hitting, but slowly but surely in the last week, he's slowed down. And Lindor is not doing much either. So if you're a Mets fan, you shouldn't and you can't be happy. They are healthy. That's something to say. That's something that you don't usually <laughs> talk about where you say, hey, the Mets are healthy, but they are healthy. Healthy. So that's a good sign. But if you're a Mets fan, you shouldn't be happy right now with the way this roster is playing. Yeah, that was my biggest concern with the approach that the Mets had this offseason. Not going enough after pitching depth and young pitching in general. Now, their bullpen has done a nice job to an extent. But again, if their starting pitching is going four innings, five innings, that's where they're going right now. If they're not going more than that on a consistent rate, it's going to be very hard. And they're doing against bad teams, too. Uh, granted, one of those series was the Braves. But they're losing against the Nationals. They're struggling with the Reds. Like, these are not teams these pitchers are having, having issues with now. Verlander's pitched well since he's come back. Fine. But that's one pitcher. Kodai Senga's hit a slump after a nice start to the season. It was kind of expected at some point. The rookie wall. And then Max Scherzer, his third different incident of why he can't pitch this year. That is a problem for somebody making $43 million a year. And you're absolutely right. These Mets fans are all starting to regret this contract. Yeah, Uncle Stevie gave him the highest paid pitcher contract in baseball at the time. And he was a guy that was pretty durable besides the end of the Dodgers stint. But it is not the case, and it is a big problem because you're right. The Mets haven't been able to hit either consistently. Now, Beatty and Alvarez have both done a nice job recently, too, as has, like you said, Alonzo. But even Alonzo's getting walked more, and then he's striking out more now because of that. And they don't have another guy that's a threat around that. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Crunch Time! It's time for Crunch Time! All right, we're going to start there. So they dual crunch time. So Miami Heat and the Florida Panthers, both last playoff teams in South Florida. Buy or sell, one of them will make their respective championship game. I'm going to buy one of them is, and I'm going to tell you who it is. It's going to be Florida. I'm buying one will. So yes, I buy it. 
I'm going to buy it, too. I definitely think the Florida Panthers will. I think the Hurricanes are a lot like the Anaheim Ducks when the Nashville Predators went to the Cup as an eight seed. A good team, but it's still missing something. The Heat could if they beat the Sixers, but I don't think they will on the Celtics. So I definitely buy the Panthers, though, going to the Stanley Cup. All right, buy or sell. Quinn Williams will get at least $3 million more per year than what Dexter Lawrence got at $23 million. I year. buy it. They're going to have to pay him that kind of money. He is the best and the most durable young defensive tackle in the NFL. He is as good as anybody right now, especially an all-pro player this year with 12 sacks and just completely dominated as the defensive line leader of the New York Jets. So I am going to buy it. Yeah, sack totals are going to get a lot, especially for an interior defensive tackle. So I'm going to buy that one too. Yeah, it might be a little bit of a more of a pay cut. I don't think it might be more than $3 million, but I definitely think it's definitely over $3 million, So I'm going to buy that as well. All right, Game 7 of the Celtics and 76ers. Two out of four of Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, James Harden, and Joel Embiid will have 30 or more points. I buy it. I think they're going to have to. What we have seen so far in this series is the stars have shown and some of the bench players or some of the third or fourth parties don't. So I'm going to buy it. I'm going to sell that one. I think Embiid does for sure. I don't think Tatum does. I think he's right on the edge. I think he's been a little inefficient at certain points. Jalen Brown, I don't like the matchup for him as much. And James Harden, I cannot trust him in the playoffs whatsoever. I do think the Celtics win. I think it's more of a defensive duel. So I think Embiid is the only one that does. I am going to sell it. All right, buy or sell. The Rangers will hire somebody other than Mike Sullivan or Chris Knobloch to be their head coach. I'm going to sell that. I can't see the Rangers going anywhere else. I know Peter Lavillette is a name that everybody keeps talking about. I don't think he's heading to the Rangers. I think it's one of those two, and that's where I think Chris Drury is going. I think the confidence level on where Drury is going with this team and where the organization is moving forward under his leadership is what lasts with these two other coaches. So I am going to sell that. Yeah, I'm going to sell it too. I think Knobloch, I think, is something that Drury's been grooming for a while, like you mentioned. I think these are the guy that knows these young players as well. And even though it's not directly coaching with Kako and Lafreniere, it's going to help those guys if they want to get any value for them, either in trade or keeping them down the road. So I'm going to sell that as well. All right. He has 11 right now. Buy or sell. Anthony Volpe will have 20 stolen bases by the All-Star break. I'm going to buy it. He's slowed down a little bit, but I believe the Yankees are going to have to use his speed in the next couple of weeks, especially against more of these power-hitting teams. So I'm going to buy it. I'm going to sell it just because I don't really like his on-base percentage right now. His batting average started to slip recently. Yeah, his power numbers have gone up, which is nice. And he's still striking out a little less than he was a couple weeks ago. But I don't know if he'll get enough on base chances to get to 20 in every situation. So I am going to sell that. All right, buy or sell. One of the Western Conference teams that are down 3-2 will come back and win their series. I am going to buy it because I think the Kraken are the real deal. I also believe the way the Oilers have played all season long and even with the Vegas Knights, I think this series is going seven games, so I'm going to buy it. I am going to buy it too. I like the Kraken still in this series. I like the experience that they have. I think Vegas will ultimately end up winning, so I am going to buy that. All right, last one. Both the Jets and the Giants will buy at or above 500 when they play in Week 8. I think the Jets will be over 500. I think the Giants will be under 500. I question the way the schedule is set up for the Giants. I think the league has put them in a bad position. I don't know how good the Giants offensively is, and that's the big problem. I don't think they have enough weapons, and they're playing some high-flying offenses in the beginning of the season, so I am going to sell that. Yeah, I'm going to sell that one, too. Just back-to-back road trips, too, for the Giants in two different instances. I think they could beat the Cardinals fine, but that Bills-Dolphins one is really brutal as well, so I agree with you. I think they'll be like 3-4 and four or 2-5. and five. I'll sell that. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is our show. Thank you again to Jarrell Worthy. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for all 
the mothers out there. Happy Mother's Day. Take care of your mother. Feed her with some wonderful gifts. She deserves it. I don't know how many kids your mother has. Oh, you had four boys. That's right. My mother has four kids. So a happy Mother's Day to my mother. Happy Mother's Day to all your mothers. We will be back next week. Thank you to Paolo. Thank you to Chaz. Moneyline Mania every single week. Big time handicappers on our network, guys. You should be listening to it. Ten in one. Last week for Paulo, especially with his soccer picks, he is dead on. Ever since Paulo's been on the show, he's been absolutely dead on. So is Wes. Chaz has been pretty good, too. So you guys should be listening to the segment, making some money, as they have been cashing tickets. We will be back next week with new guests and new content. As always, we're happy to entertain all the New York fans out here. Yes, we are the voices of sports in Long Island. We will be back next week, only on 103.9, the L-Line. News Radio Network. Good night, everybody.